What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm still quelling. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's Neil Young playing the harmonica. Nobody did it better than him. The harmonica, an instrument developed in 1820, but prior to that was an even cooler instrument called the glass harmonica. Invented by Benjamin Franklin. Why would I be talking about a harmonica and an harmonica on the Weekend Warriors show? It's because my guest coming up at 8.15, due to Father's Day, and due to the fact that he is a big listener to this show, and I am a big fan of his restaurant, Philippe's, the iconic restaurant here in Los Angeles, the home of the French dip sandwich. When I knew Rich Binder was coming on with his son as a guest, I thought all week, I love the world of art, I love the world of sports, and I love the world of surgery. This whole idea of a French dip sandwich happened by accident. A policeman in a hurry went to the restaurant and ordered a sandwich for lunch, and in the haste of the sandwich maker, a French man, He dropped the roll by accident into the beef juice, soggy, and still put the sandwich together because the cop said, listen, I'm in a hurry. I'll take it the way it is. And it was delicious because it is delicious to drip, to dip the, the roll into the beef juice. To be able to observe that phenomenon, that mistake, and recognize that it actually makes the sandwich better, that ability to observe what dipping does, I thought, where do you see that ability to see that out-of-sorts phenomena occur, something you didn't expect, and embrace it and modify it and adapt it and make something even better? It's not creating an original idea. It's observing something new and different and expanding on it. In art, in sports, in surgery, and in the restaurant business, Philippe's. So at 8.15, we're going to talk to Rich Binder. But let's talk about where we see that in sports. Well, in golf, nobody was better than Arnold Palmer. His creativity is one thing. But actually, having his ball plunk into the lake, into the water hazard, but in one of the shots, recognizing that the ball actually could skip before it plunks Arnold Palmer figured out how to actually make that into a golf shot when you're literally in jail, when you can't hit it with a club to go high because the tree is there. You can't hit it to the left or to the right because the water's there. The water's in front of you. Arnold Palmer figured out how to actually tilt the club and on purpose French dip the golf ball in the lake and get it onto the green. Let's listen to Arnold Palmer, number one. Well, now we've seen a lot of trouble shots. And for our purposes here, we can't go over the tree, we can't go to the right, and we can't go to the left, and we can't hit a normal shot 
So we're going to have to go on the water, meaning we're going to skip it across the water. Now we're going to skip it across the water with the ball above our feet and our right foot a little higher than our left foot, and we've seen all those shots. And, of course, we're going to make it go right across the water, skip up onto the green, and naturally we're going to make a one putt. Number two. Let's try it. The ball's higher than our feet, and it's a little to the back as we take the club, and here we go. Oops. The ball had a cut in it, and that's why it dove into the water. You have to have a perfect golf ball to make this shot work. <coughs> Next. So we'll try it one more time. <laughs> this time, we do not have a cut in the golf ball. One more time, because that ball was a Jack Nicklaus ball. You have to catch it just right so that when it gets to the bank on the other side, it doesn't catch the edge. It has to hit up in the middle of the bank on that fifth skip. You notice it was the fifth skip, right? There we go, and a one putt for a birdie. So the whole technique that he comes up with is now adopted by two Sports Illustrated supermodels, one of them who happens to be a professional golfer, Blair O'Neill, and she refers to it as the sexiest shot in golf that Arnold Palmer came up with. And if you want to take your partner's money and bet them that you can't skip it across the water, you can't French dip that golf ball, but here Blair O'Neill is teaching her friend Kelly Rohrbach, another Sports Illustrated supermodel, this is the sexiest shot in golf. And it essentially is the French dip of a golf ball. Let's go to number one. Hi, I'm Blair O'Neill, and welcome back to Sexiest Shots in Golf. Today I'm joined by my friend and fellow Sports Illustrated model, Kelly Rohrbach. You're going to need some big stones for this one. This is golf's sexiest shot, not easiest. We're going to show you how to skip your golf ball across the water. Actually, Blair's going to show you because I have no idea how to hit the shot. <laughs> Let's go. I'll show you how it's done. Number two. Well, I've got the perfect shot for you. So if you want to take everyone's money, okay. you need the shot in your life, okay, all right? Got it. The first thing is you've got to have a low lofted club. So I'm using a four iron. You can use a three iron, maybe even a hybrid. But the most important thing about this shot is you have to hit the ball first. If you don't hit the ball first, you are dead in the water, all right? So... <laughs> And she explains the technique and then does it. Number three. As far as the setup, you need to have a little bit of an open stance. Open the face just a little bit and the ball is going to be positioned further back in your stance. The ball is going to skip, skip on the water and right onto the green. Skip, skip. And yes. Money on the green all day long. So yeah. Thank you. The French dip in sports. Skipping the ball. Along the water. It's fascinating. What about in art? Music. Benjamin Franklin in 1761 is at a dinner party and sees someone taking their wine glass and their water glass, dipping their finger in water and rubbing it along the top of the glass to make one of the most pure sounds, pure notes that you'll ever hear. There's no electronics. 
There's no amplifier. He discovers and invents, but doesn't create from scratch. It's something he witnesses, the beauty of the French dip in music, and it's called an harmonica. Let's listen to the great Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood inviting Dean Shostak to the show, who's an harmonica, a glass harmonica player who dips his fingers in water and rubs them on these glasses. Teach us about this glass harmonica. Let's go to number one. Well, this is an instrument called the glass harmonica, invented in 1761 by my favorite American, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. That's right. Out of glass. Out of glass. And this is part of it. Let's see this wheel moves, and there's a little sound right there. Now, Benj Franklin had seen somebody playing on a set of water glasses. How, did, how was that person doing it? Well, you know, they dip their finger in, and they get it wet, and they go around the top of the glass, and they make it sing. I just love how enthusiastic and passionate Mr. Rogers is about learning something new. It's He's just awesome. All right, number two. And he got an idea that he could actually use glass in a different way. Instead of tuning the glass with water, he had the idea that you could tune glasses by their size. And I've got one of the notes right here so you can see. Now, if you look at it, you can see a couple of things. You can see there's cork glued in the center of each one of the bowls. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the size of a cereal bowl, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And the glasses are set <coughs> sideways, one inside each other, with only the rim exposed or sticking out. And number three. And then, using your finger, you can rub the rim of the glass and make it sing. But that's a fairly big one uh, uh, on this scale here. Right, right. It's actually this one right here. But see, they're all different sizes. And what you do is you start with the, the largest one, the lowest note. And then as they get smaller... It gets higher. That's right. There's our high note there. And here's the key where he says he's going to Philippe it. He's going to French dip. He's going to dip his fingers in water to make the music come to light. Number four. Now I'm dipping my hands into a bowl of water that I keep right here. So now my fingers are nice and wet. Now to make the glasses move, there's a large spinning wheel mm -hmm. attached to the end of this one rod, this metal rod. And then I'm using my foot to make all the glasses move at the same time. So I can play any glass I want. Do you want to hear some music? Oh, yes. All right. And in honor of Father's Day, William, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Mozart, he was eight years old with his father, a Father's Day in the 1700s. He heard this instrument, the harmonica that Ben Franklin creates and wrote and composed a song to it. And Dean Shostak is actually going to play the song on the harmonica that Mozart wrote for it. Let's go to number five. There was a, a composer named Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Mozart, oh, sure. That heard the glass harmonica when he was just a boy. He was traveling around with his father. And he was so impressed by it that he decided to write a piece of music for solo glass harmonica. Oh. 
So this is it. Now this piece of music is still around, but you have to find a glass harmonica to hear it played. Because ordinarily now it's just played on the piano or the organ. But this is it. Here's a few seconds of that song. Number six. And here's my favorite part of the segment. This is Mr. Rogers. His eyes are wide open. His jaw has dropped. He can't believe what he's listening to. And he, it's as though the sound is coming from the heavens. And he says, it sounds like it's coming from the sky. It's, he's just awesome. Just why kids just love him. Let's listen to number seven. Oh, that just oh, sounds... That took sounds, some practice. It sounds like it's just coming from the sky. It's, it's just, just gorgeous. It sounds coming from just everywhere. Would you and Joe ever play anything together? I'd like that. I really like playing with yeah? guitar. Do you think? Uh-huh. How, about right. something, uh, how about something that Mr. Rogers wrote? Uh, tree, tree, tree? Tree, tree, tree. I love this tree, tree, tree song because the lyrics are just one word, tree. <laughs> but how beautiful of this Dean Shostak to play the harmonica to a song Fred Rogers wrote alongside the guitar player. You'll listen to a few seconds of Tree, Tree, Tree on the glass harmonica, the French dip of your fingers in water in the world of art and music created something incredibly special in 1761. Let's listen to number eight. of the French dip sandwich, which revolutionized food, in my opinion, in the world of sports in Arnold Palmer, the world of art and music with the glass harmonica. And coming up next, the folks who started it all, the great Philippe's, Rich Binder and his son and nephew, we're going to get into the revolution of the French dip. Coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. All right. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm Big Clap. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Weekend Warriors, that's Billy Joel, Piano Man, playing the harmonica. Because the harmonica came after the glass harmonica. An example in art and music of the French dip, dipping your fingers 
in water and rubbing them on crystal glass, making the most beautiful sound. I'm joined now by someone on Father's Day, which is all about family, all about his father, his son. It's a beautiful story. The restaurant, Philippe's, here in Los Angeles, the home of the French dip. Rich Binder. Rich, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Thank you, Dr. Clapper, for having us. So who do we have on the line, Rich? We've got my son, Andrew. Andrew. And my uh, second cousin, Mark. Hi, Dr. Clapper. And Mark. I love it. Mark was just in the avocado tree, about 40 feet up, picking avocados right before he came on. That was our warm-up for the show. Well, it'll only be a warm-up if Mark fell out of the tree and now needs an orthopedic surgeon. Right. If it hasn't happened again, I plan to keep it that way. <laughs> you're all, three of you, better known as either pre-op or post-op. Currently, you're pre-op. I love it. <laughs> so, the story of Philippe. By the way, what do you think of the idea of connecting you to Arnold Palmer? And Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> well, we've been loving the show. <laughs> Thank you. We're in good company. Yeah, I I find the stories of life fascinating when we go really back to the beginning. So take us, Rich Binder, to the beginning, like beginning, beginning. Coming to this country, deciding that Los Angeles is the place to be, Opening a restaurant. Take us to the fan, the beautiful family story of Philippe's. Philippe Mathieu emigrated from, uh, Provence, France in 1901 with his brother Arbin. They settled in Buffalo, New York for mm -hmm. a couple of years, came out to Los Angeles and then started a little restaurant. Actually, it was, um, they actually moved around quite a bit. Sorry for the phones. No problem. We are at work. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it moved around about every two or three years, actually. <laughs> and they actually, in uh, 1908, they started their first one, the two brothers. <laughs> and then about 1911, they started a place called what is it? The, the, the New Poodle Dog. <laughs> a white tablecloth French bistro that only lasted about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then they moved around French. They called it French Town back then. <laughs> it was around Alameda, Aliso Street, pretty much right right near where the train station is right now. Wow. And in 1927, they sold it to a lawyer who had it for two months. He rammed <laughs> it in the ground. Philippe bought it back, and that same year, they sold it to my grandfather's two brothers, Harry <laughs> and Dave Martin. They were all from Kansas. <laughs> my grandfather joined them about 1940 sometime. <laughs> to, uh, it was the three brothers. And then around about 19, uh, one of them uh, passed away in the 40s, late 40s. But those, you know, those were the hard years, they from the, uh, the 20s when they had it. Mm. You know, they went through the Depression, mm. went through World War II and the uh, food rationing. Mm. Um, but in 1949, Take, yeah. mm -hmm. the Hollywood Freeway came through. 
Wow. The middle of the building. The middle of the building. And they had to move again. About that time, my dad, who was a brewmaster down here at Eastside Brewery, (laughs) joined his father-in-law, and they found this place, which was an old machine shop, right? Mm -hmm. Downstairs in a kind of a hotel upstairs back there. We don't know what kind of a hotel it was. Mm-hmm. For scantily clad women, I assume. It had some questionable, uh, yes, things. And um, we moved here. We opened in September of 1951. It was my dad and my grandfather, Andrew's great-grandfather and Mark's great-grandfather. And um, we've been here ever since. Take us to the story of the French dip. The The creativity of it is not really the story here. It's a story about observing a mistake, if you will, and that opening your eyes and expanding on that, not actually coming up with a brand new idea. It's being open in life to something new and different and going with it. Take us to that story. So, Andrew here, uh, the story... Um there's a few different versions over history, but kind of like the main story is a customer came in who was a police officer. Um, Philippe was preparing his sandwich, and the roll fell into the pan drippings of the meats uh, that were roasted that day. And uh, whether the customer was in a hurry, um, asked for the sandwich just to be served that way. Um, Philippe did it, and the customer came back with some friends you know, the day after, a few days after, and he requested it to be dipped. So, yeah, not much creativity, more haste. Um, mm-hmm. But that was really the birth of the sandwich. And then from that day, Philippe couldn't keep enough uh, au jus to continue, <laughs> you know, dipping sandwiches. And so that really created um, the uh, huge volume of, you know, sandwiches we do every day and, um Pretty, pretty, pretty interesting uh, accident. So I've had on this show over 10 years, many people who have been iconic restaurants from El Tarasco most recently to uh, Marty's Hamburger Place by the fire station near Rancho Park. It seems to me that one of the most successful things you almost have to do in the restaurant business to survive this long is to own the land that you're housed in. Because if you've got a landlord who keeps jacking up the rent, you eventually got to go. Um, when was the land bought? I'm assuming you guys own the land. And when did that transpire? Well, that, this is Mark. That happened in the early fifties when we, when we bought this, the machine shop and the brothel upstairs. You know that. You know what that reminds me of. That reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where George Costanza wanted to have everything in life all at the same time. So yeah. while he's you know in bed with this woman, he pulls out a bologna sandwich from behind the pillow. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that's the way they're thinking, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. Um, owning the land, especially nowadays, is critical. We've got lots of parking, you know, which is, you know, what a what a great commodity that is to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we own the building, and um, we've got lots of space too. So with the social distancing nowadays, that's really helped us a lot. 
We actually have seven different parcels here, and we, we picked them up as they became available one by one. That's a smart businessman. That's the key to success is owning the land. I want to ask you a question. Growing up the son of a carpenter, and I'd love to talk about my father on Father's Day, so this is something that always, you know, in life you have so many sensations, what you see, what you hear, what you touch. But for me, there's nothing greater than the smell of recently cut wood because I used to go into my dad's shop to see the cabinet or whatever it is that he had just made as a kid and just being amazed at all the tools and, and being a carpenter and the smell of it all. But the one thing that really touches me deeply is sawdust and because that's what was on the floor of the shop uh, because of all the wood he was cutting up. You got sawdust on your floor in your restaurant. I love that. What is the logic behind sawdust in a restaurant? Well, that that started, I think, really a couple things. You know, um, so our great grandfather and his and his brothers they owned some stables, so that may be part of the you know the sawdust, the hay mm-hmm. story, and then also, but in the old butcher shops, you know, when they used to actually do a lot more of the butchering in the restaurant. They would put down sawdust to capture any of the drippings from, you know, when he hmm. cut up the meats. Hmm. So we think it's kind of a throwback to that, and um, it's, just, it's really a tradition for us now. Hmm. I, I just would love to know what it feels like as as someone who's devoted their life to the restaurant business, and you kind of stay in your lane for so long, and the tradition, and you can just count on it to taste so delicious each time, but when all of a sudden the guru of food walks into your restaurant, I know this because I watch the Food Channel, and they have a show, the best thing I ever ate, and the topic was sandwiches, and you got Wolfgang Puck, the man, the guru, saying his favorite sandwich in Los Angeles is Philippe. What was that like to have him in your restaurant? That was pretty amazing, let me tell you. Um, and he also ordered a second one that day. <laughs> he had two of them while he was here. Um, well, <laughs> that, that was incredible. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, we got a lot of people, and we've been on a lot of food shows, thank goodness. Um, but uh, that, that was one of the best. I, I, I also just love, I mean, the reason I love doing this show every Saturday is I love, people and and their stories and you know sometimes people don't think they have a very interesting life and you just ask them well where's your father from and where's your grandfather and how did they you know next thing you know they have one of the most interesting stories the communal tables that you have every time i've gone to your restaurant philippe's and sat down you cannot help but make eye contact and start to talk to someone else who's there. And that's not something that occurs in other places. So any interesting stories about the communal seating that's in the restaurant? Well, um, it's kind of funny. We have, you know, our morning regulars who come in every day at 6 a.m. They're lined up, you know, five minutes before opening. And we've seen that kind of the guys who come in at the same time now – make it kind of their tradition where they come in every Saturday morning and sit together. And so you see kind of 
people who would just be here by themselves now have like a close knit little group. Um, specifically, we'll give a shout out to Table One. Um, they're here almost every day at 6 a.m. Um, so yeah, you just see kind of like the communal bonding um, from our regulars, and it's really cool to watch. And you know, they're part of the restaurant just like we are, and you know, everyone else. What I particularly love is how tough you guys are as a restaurant and take me through the decision to say no to ketchup. I love the fact that you are dictating to the customer. You, you know, maybe you want to bring your own ketchup if you want, but you ain't going to get it here. You're not going to get French fries either. Take us through that process of saying, this is what we make, and this is how you're going to eat it. Well, we, we do serve ketchup with breakfast. I will say ah, that. Okay. It's scrambled egg. But at 1030 in the morning, that stuff disappears, let me tell you. <laughs> it goes straight to the back. And our hot mustard, which is famous, and it, it's really, really hot, uh, uh, comes out. And uh, we feel that that complements the... Uh, the sandwich, be it the, mm-hmm. the roast beef, the leg of lamb, the roast pork, the turkey, the pastrami. Um, with, with the au jus, uh, which I, I personally like it triple dipped. So it's oh, wow. Which is the au jus. The hot mustard complements it to perfection. It really does. Do you ever put coleslaw into the sandwich or you eat it on the side? I put coleslaw on my turkey, mm. especially especially with you know a lot of the dressing because we make it we make all of our uh, salads fresh every morning, and um, that coleslaw dressing I don't know you know I, I I can't make it at home I've tried it's maybe because we make you know thirty gallons at a time here, <laughs> but I just can't duplicate it at home you know. I want to just tell you if you got to do me one favor one day the three of you. You need to interview the customer who's online at the end of the line and ask them, how many sandwiches are you going to have today? I guarantee you, if you now interview that person who's now waited online, who's now about to order because they moved up, they're going to be getting two sandwiches, whereas when they started at the end of the line, maybe they were only getting one sandwich. At least that's what happens to me. I get there, and I'm going to have a a beef sandwich, by the time I get to the counter to order, I'm getting a turkey and a beef sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting you say you got to stay in your lane. (laughs) People will not let us get out of our lane here. Yeah. Our customers have been coming for so long that if we were anything strange, let's say like barbecue chicken or something. Yeah. What the hell is going on at Felipe's? Yeah, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. Listen, we'll, it's time to make a clapper sandwich at Felipe's, and I will endorse it by saying it will cure your arthritis. Whatever I gotta do to get, to get, you know, Dr. Clapper says this will be good to keep your joints healthy. Well, whatever I gotta do. I want to thank you all for coming on the show today. The fact that it's a family, the three of you there, is just the perfect thing to embrace this beautiful Father's Day as the world seems to be falling apart around us. 
the greatest thing to know on this particular Saturday morning, knowing tomorrow's Father's Day, is that a place like yours still exists, and it's because of the hard work that the three of you put in to make sure we have a place like Felipe's to go to. Thank you so much for making time to be with us this morning. Thank you, Dr. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great day today, and I cannot wait to get down there to Felipe's and get not one but two sandwiches. All right, Warriors, coming up next, I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. You're not going to leave me alone, are you? Start your weekend off right listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Grand Poobah, the Big Kahuna. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. You're listening to Hook. And probably the best harmonica player in the world, John Popper. He's a good friend of mine. Just tremendous. Makes it seem easy. Like most people who are masters in their field. They make it look easy. This week in surgery, impressive amount of inflammatory changes. You know, you usually just wear out your hip, your knee, your shoulder, and that's what arthritis is. The clapper vision is you just wear the tires out. They get bald. They don't have the treads anymore. And you only get one set of tires in life. You only get one set of rubber on the end of your bone. And when you wear through it, you ain't growing any new stuff, despite what people are promising you. There's no shampoo growing hair back on top of my head, trust me. So be careful when people promise you things. But what's amazing is how different we are in our response to the damage. It's a lot like the COVID-19 coronavirus. Some people, they get it, they're positive, and they don't really have any symptoms. And other people end up in an ICU. Because part of the problem is our body's reaction to it. Well, the same thing's true for arthritis. I look at patients, some put up their x-rays, and I just say to them, how are you even walking around? Well, Dr. Clapper, it only hurts when I run from second to third in my softball league. Are you kidding me? Well, you certainly don't need surgery if you're still playing softball on this thing. Um, and then I'll look at someone else, and there's barely any changes on their x-ray. Their knee is swollen, they're limping, they're miserable. What is the difference? Well, the difference is in one person, their body kind of accepts and can deal with and compensate by keeping their muscles strong. Mentally, they're able to put things aside, just like Kobe Bryant could shoot two free throws with a completely ruptured Achilles tendon. And Mario Chalmers did a face plant in front of us on the court and needed two teammates to help him off the court. So the mental aspects of how you deal with the pathology you have makes us different. But that's not fair. It's not really all mental. Some of us, our bodies mount a tremendous inflammatory response to the damage. Just a little bit of the cartilage cracks. It's enough to release 
some type of medium, be it cytokines or whatever it is that the body reacts to, and it overreacts with this inflammatory response to even a mild amount of arthritis. And that's what I saw a lot of this week in the 14 surgeries that I did this week. Tremendous. It looked like someone poured battery acid into the joints. They're red. They're swollen. They're hyperreactive. What I love about those patients as a surgeon is you put in a new smooth surface that doesn't have that cartilage anymore, that worn-out cartilage that's inert, kind of like a filling in your tooth using titanium and plastic. They just, you know, I made rounds last night. A lot of these folks, they're ready to go home. They feel that much better right away because the inflammatory instigator is now gone. Their body doesn't see the wooden splinter so you don't get a big swollen hand or finger like you would react to something foreign like a wooden splinter. That's the clapper vision. And some people, even though it's their own cartilage, their body lights up like it's a wooden splinter inside their hip, inside their knee, inside their shoulder. And by taking the splinter out, taking out that cartilage that's worn out, that's causing that riot to occur in their body, they feel so much better already. And then there's nothing like walking in a pool, either to prevent the surgery, postpone the surgery, or to rehabilitate afterwards. That's why I wrote these books, Heal Your Hips, Heal Your Knees, with Linda Yui, all about exercising in a pool. Father's Day, you know what a great Father's Day gift is if you haven't come up with one for your father? Get them a book. If they got knee pain or hip pain, you will help them because it'll teach them the anatomy and teach them exercises that may allow them to avoid surgery. It's written by a surgeon, me, giving you the secrets, just like I give you the secrets to the best macaroni and cheese you'll ever have. I have to get into that, actually. You know what? Coming up next, it'll be our last segment. I'll explain how to turbocharge a craft box of macaroni and cheese to make it the most delicious thing you've ever had. And if you're looking for things to do for Father's Day tomorrow, this might be one of them. We'll get into it. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. When I see the food, I eat it. Bada-boom. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm on a light diet. I only eat when it's light out. Bada-boom. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. It's all about the harmonica today. It's Bob Dylan, Tangled Up in Blue, playing his harmonica. I can't wait till tomorrow because I'm getting one of my favorite things to eat, which is courtesy of the Barefoot Contessa recipe, a fried chicken sandwich. Oh, my God. And the secret is to marinate the chicken in buttermilk with a sliced-in-half jalapeno. My mouth is watering already. Check it out on YouTube. It's unbelievable. So I bought some jalapenos, and I also bought 
because I'm Jewish and I'm from New York, so to me all the peppers are the same. I bought a Serrano pepper. I don't know what that is. I only know red peppers and green peppers. Let me tell you something. If you think a jalapeno pepper is hot, check out a Serrano pepper. And one night, came home from work. I didn't really know what I was going to have for dinner. And there in the cabinet, courtesy of Smart and Final, where I bought five boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese for $5. Do the math. It's a dollar a box. And it's just, I don't know. I saw the box. I said, this is what we're going to eat. I opened the box. My, my wife actually did this. And the ingredients include put some butter, some milk, in addition to the macaroni and the powdered cheese. But there it was, sitting off to the side from the previous fried chicken sandwich, a Serrano chili. Cut the tip off, cut the end off, and just finely chop up with the seeds, because the key is the seeds. The seeds is where the heat is. A thin skinny Serrano chili. And when you go to combine the butter, the milk, and the powdered cheese and that macaroni and cheese, put all those shavings of the finely chopped up Serrano chili into the mix. Not only is it going to blow the roof off your head and be so delicious, but you can't possibly eat the entire box in one sitting. So we kept the leftovers. Two days later, I come home from a long day at work, and there it was in the refrigerator. Two-day-old Serrano macaroni and cheese. You heat up an iron skillet, and you put that in the skillet, where you now make a crust of melted cheese, and the heat of the iron skillet lights up the Serrano chili, crispy, creamy, on fire. It's like the greatest thing you're ever going to eat in your life. So if you're wondering what to have and you don't have the the koyach, which means the strength to make the barefoot contessa fried chicken sandwich tomorrow, which I encourage you to do, but if you can't, go get yourself some Kraft macaroni and cheese and slice up a Serrano chili. Trust me, you will clapify it and thank me forever. Next week, I'm so excited because surfing last Sunday, what I've started to do is I no longer am wearing the thick four millimeter, three millimeter wetsuit because I wear that in the wintertime when the water is freezing cold. Well, the ocean temperature, the water is heating up a little bit. It's not a lot. It's still not a joy. You still need a wetsuit. But I'm now wearing a thinner wetsuit. Three, two. Three millimeters for where my belly is, my chest, and two millimeters for where my arms and legs are. It's a three, two. And for years and years, I've worn O'Neill wetsuits. That's my favorite. But this Sunday, as in tomorrow, I'm going to be wearing a wetsuit that I've never worn before, and it comes from a company called XL, based in Hawaii. The great Jared Abrams, 
arranged for the folks who make XL wetsuits to be our guest next week. These folks have made a revolution in the world of surfing by creating, and I believe they don't use petroleum products to make the neoprene. I think it's plant-based. We're going to learn about it. But these guys at Excel have really changed the world of wetsuits, and I cannot wait to learn about it. It's like everything else. There is science and art in a product. The shape of it, the materials to use, I cannot wait to become an expert in something that I'm not an expert in right now, but it's something that I appreciate every Sunday when I go surfing. And I look forward to it. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. And I really can't wait to look into the world of art and the world of sports to see modifications like Excel has done with a wetsuit in these worlds of art and in sports that have changed the world to make that weekend warrior connect the dots between those fields happen. That's what we'll be doing next Saturday. And I hope you'll be there to join me. And I want to thank you again for making time and telling your friends and telling your family all about the show. Until next Saturday, I leave you with Volari, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. I'll see you on the radio. Nel cielo in